Radio Free America. This is Uncle Sam with music and the truth until dawn. Right now, I've got a few words for some of our brothers and sisters in the occupied zone. The chair is against the wall. The chair is against the wall. John has a long mustache. John has a long mustache. It's 12 o'clock, Americans, another day closer to victory. And for all of you out there on or behind the lines, this is your song. And welcome everybody to our daily gun show. We come to you live every weeknight at midnight Eastern. Talk about guns for about an hour. Uh, we uh, have a couple people joining us tonight. We've got uh, Mo jumping in from Texas. Thanks for joining. Thanks for the invite. Bet. And we got uh, Gun Snob jumping in from just north of there in Oklahoma. Thanks for joining. Yep. Thanks for the invite, sir. But I'm over here in Arizona, so it's all west. I don't know. You guys are considered west. You're not Midwest, right? Oklahoma's west. I'm Texas. Yeah, Texas. I know no direction. Um, well, you're, we're all definitely south, so uh, we're not represented by the rest of the country today. Um, it's Friday, so on Fridays we typically talk about the uh, industry and tech. So it looks like today we've got on the list insurance appraisals, Q&A, and 4357 SIG 9 conversions. So uh, we can talk about any or all those things. We're watching the comments out there. We run this live on YouTube. We simulcast it over at gunchannels.com. We're watching the comments from the live participants out there. And uh, looks like Nate would like a link. Send him one over on the Gun Channel side. So anybody that wants to participate in the show via the text chat is more than welcome to. In fact, you're encouraged to. That's really the whole point of this. This, as you may have noticed, is not a radio show. It is not and a highly polished uh, formulaic, formulaic show. We're just uh, talking about guns every evening so that when we need to, we've got pipelines open. So um, all with that said, anything happened in the early shows? Happened overnight? Anything we're talking about? Clover had a pretty good show with Mike on there from M&W Tactical. Tactical tonight. I guess you were on there, G. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool, too. I've talked to Mike a bunch of times now for a few weeks now, it seems like, months maybe. And uh, the only thing I knew about Mike is what came up in the discussion. So I'm glad Clover took a minute to uh, focus on him so that we could chat with him. I didn't know he was a drill instructor. I knew he was in the Army. I know he's a drill instructor. So, um, yeah, that's, you know, it's an MOS. It's a job. So it's it's job or the job description is to train and to instruct. So. I haven't talked to too many firearms instructors who uh, have that credential, so that's kind of neat. And like I say, it brings a different kind of eyeball to training, I'm sure, so that he can, uh, you know, it's uh, uh, interpreted differently. Yeah, I thought it was pretty neat actually getting to know him because, you know, you just see him in all the chats and just hear him talk, but you don't really hear his background, so that was pretty neat. So why don't we do that in here? No, what's your deal? You had to give somebody an elevator speech. What would you tell them? About the you. Clover, Clover show? No, no. Doctor, no. If I, give, if I had to give an elevator Dr. speech? Your elevator speech, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm not a content creator. I'm not actually technically a gun guy, I guess. I'm kind of like the Marshall guy. So I'm all about it's not what you got. It's how you use it. 
Very cool. And I think you queued down on, I was kind of also channeling Clover's chat, I guess from Thursday. I wasn't in that one, but uh, I watched it earlier today and they were talking about mission of your channel type of thing. So I guess uh, you kind of got what I was going with there. So uh, the, the mission of my channel is not to have one. Right on. We got Fine Ape jumped in there. Good, nice down view. So uh, what's the elevator speech for Fine Ape Project? I uh, don't really have one. Two-bit content creator that puts out uh, mildly interesting videos when I feel like it or have the time to. Right on. Um, I don't know. Is it worth taking that look at ourselves and trying to give ourselves an elevator speech, a nutshell? I don't know. I guess it also comes from if you have to tell it to people. Uh, well, how well, you describe yourself to people, I guess. I mean, if you're going to have a channel and you're going to be a content creator, absolutely who you are and where you're coming from is, is part of the thing. And if you're going to market yourself at all, then you absolutely positively need that that sort of self-reflection. What do you represent? What do you want to represent? What are you looking to represent? And where is it you're coming from? Right on. Well, I'm not going to agree with half of what you said there, but not the whole thing. And first of all, not skip though we'll go to snob and then we'll come back to that snob what would be your uh elevator speech for your project no you could have skipped me but i'm not very good at you know stuff like that but you know i don't know i just got into get you know been in guns all my life but really got into handguns 10 years ago or so and kind of just decided to make a youtube channel last may and here i am being an idiot i think that's valid um I keep saying elevator speech. I got that term from Alan Corwin. Does anybody know who Alan Corwin is? Name sound familiar? It's the he's the publisher of um, how's it called? Bloomfield Press. So most of the gun owners' guides to the fifty states. He he, he distributes that book. He didn't write it, but he wrote most of the state guides to uh, CCW that people might own. Those blue books. Uh, he's written quite a few books, actually. He's prolific, so he's got probably dozens and dozens of books that he's authored. Um, I, I don't... Uh, they're they're kind of... Uh, they're all 2A. They're all uh, CCW-ish. Anyway, Alan and I have known each other for a long, long time, and one year he confronted me at SHOT Show and was determined to get me to give him an elevator speech for what I do. And I've never... I guess, put too much thought into that. And at the time when he was bugging me about it, I was basically getting paid by YouTube to do nothing, to just do stuff on YouTube. So I never had to describe it to anybody. No one ever asked me what I did for a living, so I never described it until Alan did. So that's why I keep using that phrase, because I'm sure it's a common phrase, but it, Alan's the one that made me start thinking about it. And that was a few years ago. And uh, I guess it was effective, because it got me to think about it. Uh, I can't come up with a good one. I, I usually describe when I'm talking to somebody that I've been playing show and tell on the internet for, well, I can say 20 years now. Uh, and that's how I can get a conversation started. But I think what it all boils down to for me is that's pretty much all I've been doing. I guess I could add like trying to create community and do that a little bit. But anyway, I think it might be beneficial to some of us, like say, I don't know uh, how often if you've got a nine to five and you've got a you know active family life and you're just doing this on afternoons and weekends, you probably don't get questioned about it as much as somebody who might 
I don't know, wear around like like Ghost. He's always wearing around his hat all the time. It says Ghost Tactical on it. So I'm sure people are asking him what that's all about. So he must have something he replies with. So anyway, is it worth uh, chatting about this more, or should we move on? Well, I think it's interesting, but well, I mean, from from the context of, you know, like I said, for your, your channel creators and and things to that effect. But even even beyond the YouTube thing, I mean, you know yourself, if if I was going to give your elevator speech, even before the YouTube content, I'd put more in about um, your two a community activism and trying to, you know, your constant efforts to try to coalesce different factions of the community together because i see you spend a lot of time and energy doing that oh you mean me personally yeah sure but i'm talking like if my aunt or somebody asks me what i do they don't give a shit about second amendment i'll just say i play show and tell and you know, i don't even get into the guns part because i do other stuff so yeah no it's a relative you just lie and you tell them you're a doctor or a lawyer or something <laughs> just wondering because everybody out there has just been chatting about corn or something out there so uh, if anybody's got an elevator speech throw it out there um, now I'm going to go back to what No said. I agree with you if you're, well, I forget how you phrased it, but if you are promoting yourself, then yeah, you've got, I think it's definitely beneficial to explain who you are for a lot of people. I personally could give a crap most of the time, unless you're trying to act as an authority, then I'd like to know what your credentials are. But if you're just relating your preferences or experience, then really cares what your resume is. But, um, I would disagree with the part about if you're creating content, then it's necessary or it's advantageous because uh, I always look at Modern Marvels, one of my favorite things. Uh, no one knows who made Modern Marvels. I don't know if anybody ever went on screen ever for Modern Marvels. It's just a logo and then it's a bunch of cool stuff and like the insides of machines and giant boats and tiny stuff. And, you know, it's just a, it's a how-to kind of informational show. So I look at that as a, um, if you want to call it an exception, but uh, is the you know, I don't think everybody needs to necessarily put their resume and their qualifications up there so that they can be you know their their content's valid. If you're just able to put a camera somewhere useful and make it interesting, then well, yeah, but that directly ties into. I guess what kind of what your style is going to be or what your actual content is going to be. Like you said, modern Marvels, it was a narrator. It was a logo. It was a TV show. It was marketed as such. It wasn't, it wasn't like, um, you know, that dirty jobs guy. Um, and I can't think of his name. Right. Right. Where the guy Mike was bro. there all the yeah. time. It was yeah. Marvel. I mean, so, so now you're talking about the difference of, um, if, I hate to have to give examples, but I'm gonna, if I'm listening to the Yankee Marshall, which I'm not, um, knowing who he is and where he comes from is very relevant to how you take his information. So if, if you're going to present yourself as any sort of, of internet person, then yeah, that comes into play. If on the other hand, you're just doing things like, um, tabletop reviews, product introductions, or or just actually filming other people do things, then no, who you are behind the camera isn't as relevant. You're in that modern Marvel stage. But but again, that's where that sort of elevator speech becomes self-reflective. I think it also kind of to add on that, you know, depends on the kind of content you're creating. If you're creating training 
like MW Tactical or Jaeger or all them, if you're trading training, then yeah, you should, you know, be able to put out what your resume is. But if you're just doing, you know, like you said, tabletop reviews, stuff like that, then, you know, people just want an everyday person's opinion also. So there's that. Good point. Yeah, if you're putting it out with that, like, caveat of like, or whatever, like that, uh, like authentic, like this is, this is something you can learn from. Yeah, like, what do you know? Like, why should we listen to you? Right. Georgia yeah. Rebel, what's your question? What? Georgia Rebel says he has a question. I was asking what it was. So let's see. And we also can talk about insurance insurance appraisals. I've basically been recycling some topics from old shows. Okay. Insurance appraisals on guns? Yeah, so I guess, you know, there's lots of ways we can take that one. Well, the first thing is it, if it's you're getting an appraisal for something, what are you getting an appraisal for? So basically anybody that's got homeowner's insurance pretty much knows um, they'll lump in jewelry and firearms in your policy with a flat amount like $5,000 or $10,000. And if you have anything more valuable than that, they want you to schedule each item by item and get them appraised. And some insurance companies have a list of what they consider qualified appraisers and they want you to use their appraisers. And in other ones, it's just sort of any written appraisal. So that, that comes back to really what you're insuring and why. That's a good point of like having a list of them because uh, I'm sure a lot of gun shops can offer the service, but then whether or not that's considered yeah, legit to your insurance company might be another thing, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And that's where you have to know what your insurance company is like. My insurance company, <clears throat> excuse me, if it's a current production item, then basically speaking, it's MSRP and it's not actually an appraisal per se. But if you have a gun that's no longer in production or some gun that's got some sort of collector value or vintage value or something like that, um, a lot of times... You know, you can just go into your gun store and have it appraised. Other times, certain items, your your insurance company, depending upon the company, may want you to use somebody that they know. I think it kind of depends on your collection, too, because when you're a huge collector and have hundreds of thousands of dollars in farms, is different than somebody who has $10,000 in farms. Well, right. If you're under the threshold for your policy, you wouldn't have to particularly schedule anything at all. If you have a loss, it's like, oh, I had $10,000 in firearms, and they say, okay, you're covered up to $10,000. Yeah. So that's a couple of things there. So my policy, I had to, I could take riders. So I have riders on the, because there's, you know, and you have, like you say, there's a certain amount that's covered on the policy, and then you can add, you know, chunks to it. So I've got riders or whatever, but then, um, uh, what about the idea of like taking photos and having some kind of a log or some kind of a inventory book? 
uh, that with current, you know, maybe on your birthday or some anniversary date during the year, you go through and you take current pictures so that, you know, if you, like you say, it's if it doesn't become so easy, hey, here's my claim for X amount of dollars worth of firearms, then they say, okay, all you got to do is show us some receipts. So, I don't know, added, having pictures with, I don't know, newspaper from September, you know, might be beneficial, right? Uh, useful. It's very beneficial, and it's smart not just for firearms, but for anything else. Because if you ever do have to put in a claim for anything, you know, oh, I had a $5,000 stereo. Where's the receipt? Oh, it got burnt up in the fire. Well, if you have off-premises a video log, and, and I do it, it's just, you know, hey, I bought this. Take a picture. Take a picture of the, the serial number. Take a picture of... Um, any identifying marks on it or anything like that, that's smart for two reasons. The first reason is if for some reason you ever do need to put in a claim for something. And the second reason is if there is theft and, and some people are the like, you know, I don't want to keep a list. I don't want to keep any records. I don't want to keep this. Yeah. Okay, fine. That's like your choice, but there is definitely benefits to keeping all those records um, should, for some reason, you ever need to identify, hey, I have this gun, I don't have this gun, this gun was stolen, this gun was lost, whatever. Well, one easy way to do it is just take a picture of your gun, you know, with the serial number and just upload it to your cloud and you've got it. That way, if your house burns down with all your, you know, and your computer's melted with all the pictures on it, well, you still got it in the cloud and you can still access it. I'm, I'm not down for the cloud but i do have a spreadsheet that i just used a spreadsheet and uh i think i'll put in stuff like the make and model and all that kind of stuff and then uh serial number and that kind of thing when i got it where i got it because uh that can be useful sometimes i don't know if you've ever had a knock on your door from the atf and they want to know where you got something or where something went having that information makes it a little faster to deal with them um, so where it came from, where it went, if it went, um, I'll have a column in there for what I think it's worth just for my own appraisal or my own estimate. And then, uh, a column in there for when I'm dead for whoever's snooping through it, uh, for where it should go. So a couple of guns are from friends of mine. So it'll say in there, like, give this back to them kind of thing. Uh, and uh, others are like, you know, I own this one and I know somebody will appreciate it. So make sure this gets to them and doesn't just go to the gun shop. And for a majority of them, it's like, here's a gun shop I trust. But um, I think your idea of doing a video, um, it might actually be something therapeutic and fun to just once a year uh, go through, open up the safe or wherever you have your stuff or gather it all up kind of thing. And then uh, if you have some kind of a book like that or some sort of a document like that that archives them, or even if you just have receipts in a some kind of a folder to just go through and say, here's this pistol, I acquired it so-and-so, here's the receipts for it in the book, and almost do it as a video for your kids or your wife or whatever. And, you know, in there you could say, you know, this is an important gun, this is from grandpa, so do not sell this one, or, you know, this one is uh, going to so-and-so, or this one is you know, meant for so-and-so or whatever it might be. Yeah, that's... Yeah. The, you know, and you don't good. have to post that online. I mean, obviously, you put that on thumb drive and put it in your safety deposit box or send it to your kid's house in a different state or whatever it is. Yeah, no, that yeah, whole make thing... A couple, make a couple copies of the thumb drive, maybe keep 
keep one in like a firebox here and keep the other one in your safety deposit box. And every, you know, whenever you update it, simply switch out the thumb drives. Here's the new one and then put the new contents uh, or removals onto that one. But I would recommend having some paper uh, mm -hmm. and some some kind of stuff so you can keep it at different levels. Like there's the stuff that you'd want to, if a police came and said, oh, there's a, we need a police report. Okay, here's your police report one. And then that doesn't need to have on there that this was grandpa's, you know, going to this one's handed down through three people or whatever. You know, this one, all that kind of information can go to your family and, you know, have a, a sterilized one that goes to the insurance company or to the, you know, whatever might need to go. Yeah, just a plain, almost governmental type document of make, model, purchase date, etc. Have a, have the the prices on one, you know, and then reflect those prices more realistically to your on your family's one or something. So yeah, there's a lot of reasons you could have a couple of books. Yeah. And actually, if you want to get really, um, I don't know. Uh, kind of future-proof it. Yes, uh, hard copies stored off-site are always going to be, um, I don't know if I necessarily want to say the best option, but, you know, the more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, kind of time-resistant ones rather than like a video or anything stored on magnetic media. But um, I've actually toyed with the idea of they make the small little computers are about the size of a business card. It, I've got one stored in my safety deposit box and all it has on it is you turn it on and it'll start, um, it'll just bring up a program and just go through all the photo information on there, kind of future-proofing it. Cause like, you know, USB is, yeah, it's been the standard for what, 20 some years now, but in say 50 years for some of the younger guys that USB that could be like an eight-inch floppy disk is now. It's no one or nothing can re actually read it. Oh, for sure, yeah. Midnight uh, had Midnight. An Oh, go ahead. Not uh, here. I was going to say the same thing. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say he had an interesting question. He said, "Do you think homeowners or health insurance companies will ever increase rates for firearms owners, or possibly give breaks for those who don't own?" Oh, we weren't going to say the same thing. I was just going to say Midnight's a son of a bitch. But, yeah, I guess we could. Oh, well, that, I should have well, Yeah, I'll agree with that. But no, it's a good question. So I don't know. I never thought about that. But they certainly, like, say, whenever I started getting to that level where I was no longer covered by home insurance or just the standard home insurance or whatever, um, you know, I had to get a rider, then that's an obvious, yeah, that's a, you know, how much more of a flag can you be? I need extra insurance for my extra guns that I have more than regular people or whatever. But here's the other thing. Whenever I got my rider, it's because uh, this was for Y2K and stuff. They don't cover ammo and all that stuff. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like you get, you, or they, you got to incorporate all that into that 10,000. You might say, Oh, I got six guns, but then how much that optic cost? How much did the case that you put those two guns into cost? How much ammo do you have? How many magazines did you buy? How many holsters do you have? Well, so. that's where that's where that inventory thing is very important. Like even for your own records, you know, save the deposit box, whether you have it with lawyers or, or whatever. But it once again, it depends on your company and your policy. But if you have a contents policy, so suppose you have a hundred thousand dollars insurance for the contents of your house, 
different companies will restrict it by different things. They'll say, oh, if it's a gun or firearms related item or something like that, we'll cover up to $10,000. Beyond that, they want it scheduled. Well, then you start talking about, um, like you said, optics, mags, anything, anything of value that way that your insurance company doesn't require you to schedule, you're better off scheduling it yourself anyway. And then being able to say to them, hey, you know what, I lost is you know a three thousand dollar rifle scope and you know it's going to be covered under your contents thing or they're going to want proof of your purchase of all that stuff and it's to me it's just easier to keep way easier to keep a physical inventory one one point in time than it is to start trying to keep purchase records and things like that well that's something i never even thought of was like magazines i've got you know how many hundreds of dollars just in magazines and i never even never even crossed my mind yeah. And, and like I said, the different companies have different policies on what they consider to be quote unquote contents. So like mine in particular, there's up to X number of dollars in jewelry. If you have any one piece or if your collection exceeds this amount, then they want it itemized. The same thing for firearms. And a lot of companies now are getting this way with electronics as well if you have any particular electronic device whose initial price was above a certain amount they want it scheduled or they want recovery information which means again photograph of the serial number and things like that and i don't know if i've been reading the chat but did we talk about you buy a gun and it's a great deal and then something happens and it's worth a lot more like ideally every gun you buy is like that. I mean, that's one of our goals, right? Is to make money on our investments. So uh, you buy an M1 carbine for a couple hundred bucks at a gun show uh, from somebody. And then you realize that, you know, that a lot of things worth 700, uh, you know, buy a, you have a little 22 that's inherited to you and you figure out that, oh, that's worth 700 or $300. You thought it was worth 50. So, you know, things can sneak up. Things can increase in value. Hopefully uh, you're not paying attention. Yeah. Um, one thing on Midnight's question, you know, what about these states that are saying you're required to lock your guns up and all this stuff? Are they going to come back after the homeowners, you know, in a civil suit? Would your insurance have anything to do with any of that even possibly or would they increase rates due to that possibly? Well, generally speaking, if you live in some sort of jurisdiction where they have mandatory by law storage, if you do not present that storage and you try to put in a claim to your insurance company, there's going to be an issue. And it's like any other insurance. Insurance is not valid if you're committing a crime. So if you there's a difference between improperly storing your weapons and illegally storing your weapons. So that's something you're going to have to take into consideration. Absolutely. Because if they determine that it wasn't, you know, that they weren't stored lawfully, that's the end of you getting any kind of money back. True. I was just meaning even on like the civil side of things, are they going to go after, you know, and stuff like that due to that if you get it stolen and whatever. So are they going to raise your homeowner's insurance rates just because of that? in states that require that well i mean I, I don't know if it has anything to do with guns but if you get your house broken into repeatedly i would imagine your insurance rates are going to go up right you gotta assume you're doing something stupid to come about it and they're going to start charging you more yeah it'd be just like you know if you wreck your car eight times 
Right. Anything with insurance. You just start using it a lot, it's going to start costing you more because you're draining the system. Or else they'll drop you, I guess. But yeah, I wonder if that's going to be a thing. And now we'll just have to, well, let's not wish for more complicated shit. But at this point, um, I think that there's enough in, uh, investment quality stuff out there that gets insured that they know that they'd be dumb. Like, what are they going to, somebody's got a million dollar home that they're insuring and all this uh, product inside that they're insuring and then their life they're insuring maybe and then their cars maybe they're insuring and then they're going to say, oh, you got a shotgun in the closet? Keep your money. <laughs> right? Yeah. Insurance companies aren't stupid. And, and then too, don't forget is if, if you if you're a focus person, like in other words, if you are a gun collector, if you're a car collector or watch collector, there's insurance companies that specialize in those items in particular. If that's like a a part of your business or a part of your or your life, or you have that kind of collection, as opposed to like you say, oh, you 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 know, I have a couple of guns in the closet. Yeah, and even on that though, all the stuff that's going on, you know, the you know, all these companies, the banks and all that quitting doing business. And is that gonna be something that starts happening with insurance companies more and more now? Is that if you own guns, they're gonna say, Hey, you know, we're not insuring you, period now? Or are they just more interested in money? Because apparently the banking industry isn't. With Probably all just... the hunters, with all the hunters that would be affected and People from every walk of life, I would think uh, that would be ripe for an insurance company to say, hey, they're not going to insure you with guns, but we sure as hell will. You know, there's enough existing insurance companies, I think, to take all that. Yeah, not to mention the Market. fact that it, it's it's become a common thing every time somebody talks about gun legislation. One of the things that they throw on the table is mandatory insurance for gun owners. So if... Uh, it, if a market or an industry like the insurance industry is going to get together and say, you know, we don't want the liability of gun ownership. And then you turn around and you say, well, you have to have insurance to own a gun and they make that a law, then what's supposed to happen? So, you know, there, there would be a breaking point or a threshold at some point in time where that's going to have to be addressed. And again, as far as the dollars are concerned, sure, there's always going to be a company who's going to step up and say, hey, you know what? We don't care. We'll insure you. That's what we do. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. So, Ape, you're saying this is a new webcam you're using? Switching topics here. Um, yeah, it's one of the um, Logitech. I forgot what model it is. It's one of their... Um, mid-level ones not like the top tier hmm. what, kind I can of, move what kind of money talking 20 bucks 200 bucks no 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 like um get it off amazon for like 40 bucks okay yeah looks pretty darn decent yeah figured i'd move into the 21st century instead of using an old uh xbox uh, webcam yeah kind of a neat angle too yeah all right, so I'm sure there's lots of other stuff to talk about with insurance, but for the sake of the, our show, we'll uh, move on. So thanks to the people that are watching over on the Gun Channel side. looks like they're listening but not chatting so much. The YouTube side's been chatting. Appreciate everybody that kind of was bitchy over there. Everybody sort of went back online with the topic, so that's been pretty fun. That's what it's all about. Um, let's see, we can move into these caliber conversions here, but first we're going to take a minute and feature one of the members over on Gun Channels. 
It's one of the reasons we do the daily show, so we can feature different members every day. And this is somebody who we've been talking about in some of the chats lately, but I don't know, last time we featured him is Cork. So his official name is Mr. Cork71. Uh, does anybody here remember Cork? No, did you ever talk about Cork? Of course. That's way back OG days. So I'm trying to, uh, I'm guessing you guys, Ape, were you around with Cork? Um, no, I wasn't. I just know of his, uh, he's now become a verb. Right. That's all I really know. We've been looking at people's user or member numbers over on Gun Channels. Cork is member number eight. So back when we only had 10 people, you know, on the phone. And the old joke, like, oh, no, you're calling number three. You want number four. Like, uh, Cork was number eight. So we barely had the place set up when Cork joined. He was also uh, Mr. Knives, basically, is little Cork. Because uh, for the longest time, Cork ran all the live shows. He would just uh, set them up and run them. He would start doing after shows and then uh, started doing the shows. So for a long time, Gun Channels was sort of a giant... Uh, I don't know, live show. And it was mostly Quark running it for a long, long, like a year there, I think, really. Yeah, and that's how Quark became a verb. Because when people started running their own shows, there would be shows going on and Quark would just start a show. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that's where we said, like, kind of overlapping or jumping on top of would be Quarking. You're uh, 48-21. All right, so that's our member of the day. Um, and he was a pretty cool dude. He was uh, not a big-time shooter or nothing, but he was semi-familiar with guns. I think he grew up with them, and then when he moved out or whatever, he didn't have a bunch of guns, but he had some crazy something like a Walther, some goofy Walther or something for a long time, and then I think he eventually bought a Glock, right? But, uh, I thought it was. I thought it was the other way. I thought he had to sell the Glock to pay for surgery on his cat, and then bought a PPQ to replace it. That might be. So yeah, kind of an interesting uh, flavor to uh, his preference or whatever. His, his uh, but he was always a one to uh, bring up interesting questions and keep chats moving. So uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I don't know what we call him. But uh, OG Gun Channels members. So that'll take us to conversions. Uh, 43, 57, 9. All the stuff that fits in the same chamber. So, or at least the same length of chamber. So that means the same magazine. Or what should we say? The same length of cartridge. So that means the same magazine. Which means the same chamber. Which means the same gun. The same, uh, same frame size. I would say. So besides, I mean, obviously the Glock, you can swap out the barrels and go caliber conversions. Are there the Bredas you can do that on too, right? Can you take a 40 Breda and turn it into a 9? I don't know. I know you can do it with the M&Ps and the, uh, the shields. So I just put in a 357 SIG conversion barrel in my uh, 40 shield. You can do it with the SIGs too. Yeah. And to obnoxious one out in the uh, chat, yes, nine millimeter uses different mags, but forty and three fifty seven use the same since they're base 
they're the same uh, same diameter cartridge and same uh, uh, rim diameter. I just thought it was neat, so I got a bunch of conversions just because it's cool, because it's easy to do for the Glock, and I didn't go and pursue them, but whenever they came across, I came across them or they came across my path cheap, I grabbed them. Uh, 357 SIG is a neat round, but I'm not a big advocate of it. It's too expensive and too snappy for me. You guys like shooting it? It's definitely an experience, especially out of a little ported snubby um, uh, pistol. Oh, interesting. It's... I don't even think I've shot it out of anything smaller than a full-size Glock. Um, well, my dad actually picked one up back when Smith & Wesson first came out with the um m&p series he picked up a full-size night sight one and it's in a full-size gun i'd say it's what you notice more is mostly is a concussion since it is a higher pressure round but i don't think it's any more snappy than uh 40 in a full size but in the compact it's definitely snappy and really punches you in the nose with the um with the with the concussion wave i've only shot it in a full size but I didn't notice it being that much different than 40. Oh, really? I thought it was a little snappier than 40. I haven't tried it. It's definitely got, uh, snappy is not a good word. I mean, it's definitely got a, a way sharper recoil impulse than a 40. So, like, it would be like very sharp, the 357 SIG, then the 40, then, like, you know, you have that really soft push of a 45. Mm-hmm. My buddy that's a law enforcement officer, that's what their uh, department carries is 357 SIGs. Really? In Oklahoma? Yep. Hmm. Well, it, is, it is a pretty interestingly bliss, or ballistically interesting round. There had to be a story to that somewhere. Where they were like, hey, 45 won't work for this reason, and 9 millimeters not enough, I guess. Well, the whole thing was people want, was, I don't remember what uh, ammo mag, a manufacturer came out with the idea first, but it was people wanted the power of a 357, 125 grain hollow point, but in an auto gun platform. It was Sig. Sig did it with Federal, and it was it was for that reason. It was at the time when departments were switching from 357s to nine millimeters, and Sig's plan was that they could garner the law enforcement market away from Glock if they could give them a high capacity 357 Magnum equivalent. Oh, so does it really use the 357 slug in there? No, it's a. Uh, it uses a nine millimeter, a 355 diameter instead of a three five eight three five seven i mean we're talking a handful of thousandths of an inch okay but it's not like they literally took a revolver projectile and put it in an auto case is that that you're going no they took a 10 millimeter case and necked it down to a nine millimeter it's actually trimmed it down yeah it's actually slightly shorter than a Um, 10 millimeter but it's long 40 no it's um hold on here i got brass all over my table here because I thought it was 40 knocked down to 9, like you say. Um, you can neck down 40s to 357 SIGs, but you'll end up with cases that are either right at the minimum um, 
SAMI specification for overall length or um there's most more than just length too is there like is the 10 millimeter a stronger case i think so okay here if my camera will focus there we kind of oh, went some reloader people that were able to jump yeah. in the the well, web here's a jerking here's an empty 357 sig and then the one next to it is actually a 10 millimeter that's been necked down to um, nine millimeters so this this is a sig this would be like a nine by twenty-five Dylan, which you can still shoot out of the same gun or what? No, you have to use like a ten millimeter platform, which is actually I think that would be the if you're going to get a lot of conversion kits or a gun, getting something in ten millimeter would be more practical since it all it uses the same rim diameter, so you can use ten millimeter or nine by twenty-five or three fifty-seven sig and 40 um, Smith & Wesson in it. And then usually four, uh, 10s are go. large enough frame to put a 45 barrel in it too, right? Um, you can, but here, what you'll run into is, here's a 45, is that this, the rim diameter here. So the actual part that's milled into the slide, come on, you're focused here for a second. There we go. Is... Yeah, you'll be, I'm trying to remember here, you'll have to actually like mill the part of the slide out to accept this larger rim compared to those. But like if you're, like for a Glock, if you just wanted to get a, I don't remember what a full size 45 is, you can just swap the uppers out. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. One thing about the conversion kits is I keep saying I'm going to buy one of the uh, police trade-in Glock 22s and get the 357 barrel for it because you can get them so cheap right now and just throw a 357 barrel and you got two different, you know, 40 and 357. Mm -hmm. So did we come up with any other guns besides Smith & Wesson, Glock, and... Sig. Um... Well, it's not a company, but a, but you know, 1911s. But that, because you can get um, conversion kits for like, like 50 GI because it uses a rebated rim. Okay, 50 GI, yeah. You buy it, you basically use your frame, you got a slide and a barrel. Yeah, and then like, um, what is that, 460 Roland? And then there's a 400 Corbon, which is basically a 45 that's been necked down to 40 caliber. So kind of like a 357 SIG plus. Um, well, one other one is the AR platform for that matter. I mean, a lot of those, you know, 223 to 300 just change the barrel. Mm -hmm. um, oh, we're talking conversion barrels, not convertible guns. Because I was thinking of that... Um, not a conversion barrel per se, but a convertible firearm would be like the Ruger um, Blackhawks. Like they make ones that come with a 357 cylinder, and then you get like a spare 9mm cylinder, or a 45 auto and a 45 Colt, or like a, the single sixes, I think, still do this, where you'll have a 22 Win Mag um, or 22 Rimfire Magnum cylinder, and then like a regular 22 cylinder. 
Yeah, those are still viable for the same reasons. You can get one gun and then be able to shoot multiple kinds of ammo, take it out to the range. And, and they brought up a good point in the chat, and you just hit on it too, is when we talk about conversions, what is it actually we're talking about? Um, like a, a if you want to convert a 40 caliber Glock to a nine millimeter, there's a conversion barrel you need. You just can't put a nine millimeter barrel in. It's a specific piece that allows you to do that. So then you get talking into, okay, am I just changing barrels? Am I changing the barrel and slide assembly onto the same frame? You know, what's quote unquote a conversion at that point? Yeah, I think if you have to buy the slide, that's it's not worth the money versus you know mm. that. But well, I mean, they, I well, they do make um, like once again Sig, and then well for Sig Glock, and then some 1911s. They do make 22 conversions, which is the whole upper assembly or your whole slide yeah. and barrel in that. I mean, I can kind of see that just because you can't go buy a Glock, you know, 22 caliber, but as far as you know, if you got to change it from forty to nine millimeter, and you have to get the slide and all, it just doesn't seem worth it to me. I'd rather just have another gun. Yeah. And so I guess getting back to the uh, original question posed by G, converting sometimes it's just a barrel, sometimes it's a special barrel, sometimes it might be a couple extra components. So. It's really dependent on the calibers we're talking about, because like you said, there's all different you know, characteristics of these calibers and depending on what spec you're talking about. Like you said, sometimes it's just a barrel because it's usually just the chamber that's different. Other times it's more. Well, probably but, the uh, easiest one is the Glock converting it from 40 to 357 because it's literally just the barrel. Yep. Because, yeah, you don't have to mess with the mag or anything. If it was just two more like you know common calibers, then uh, it's sometimes useful, I guess, if you just want to uh, play with some 357 sig and then go back to 40, I guess. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, that's calibers. Um, we can move on to let's see. We're gonna talk about the gun shop of the day today. It's the Browning Museum. Only we had somebody in here who's been to the Browning Museum. Um, you guys ever been to the Browning Museum by any chance? Negative. Negative. Where's it at? Utah. Yeah, so it's in Salt Lake City, just north in Ogden, Utah, really. But uh, if you go from the center of Salt Lake City, it's like an hour or something, maybe, not even, to uh, get it. It's in a train station, and uh, it's pretty cool. It's, um, sec it's in the second story of the train station uh, in Ogden, and it's in the same town that he did all of his work in. So he was a Mormon. He grew up in that area, and... Uh, worked for his dad and then had his first store, his first factory, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and there was eventually three of them. Uh, so those are right there. They're, well, one of them is still there. Uh, one of them is torn down and there's a monument to it. And the third is more difficult to find. So, uh, but they're all right there within walking distance of the museum. So uh, you can go look at those, I guess, just experience, you know, kind of the real life part of it there. Uh, one of the buildings still says Browning uh, Browning Brothers, I think, on it. Browning and Sons, I forget, but uh, so it still says Browning on it. It's pretty neat. Uh, so anyway, the the museum is a, the second floor of the um, train museum. There's some cars and stuff there, I think, too. 
uh, and part of the museum is his workshop. So whenever you know he he passed, they left his workshop as is, and then it eventually is there at the museum. So you kind of walk into his workshop in like this little glass tunnel, and uh, you are in his workshop, and you can see what he had on the table. I guess he died in in Belgium, but this was probably his workshop here in Utah. Um, he was known for not leaving his prototypes be, so he wouldn't make a prototype and then start over. Uh, if he was going to make some alteration or some next model, he would just take his first gun and take it apart and start making it into the second gun. So for that reason, there's not a heck of a lot of prototypes, but it is kind of neat to see a shop with all the, I don't know what you call them, components, pieces, you know, that he would have been using to come up with his ideas. Uh, and then, of course, there's a bunch of his guns there. So it's got representations. I mean, he was super prolific, right? So it's got handguns, it's got shotguns, it's got, um, I guess he really didn't do revolvers, but he, you know, it's got his machine guns, it's got some of his heavy stuff. And not everything is necessarily his first one, like I say, but there's representations of everything. And a lot of it is his earliest ones or his first ones. And uh, it's not the biggest museum ever, but, you know, it's Browning. So it's the most authentic Browning thing you can do and takes a little effort to get there you have to go to salt lake city but there's definitely other things to see in salt lake city so it's an awesome place to visit so it's you know it's not like a, a horrible place to go just to see the museum or anything uh, between the museum and the town is an air force museum also there's an sr-71 there and a bunch of stuff so if you're into airplanes there's that museum to check out too Yeah, I need to go to that cult museum. In fact, we didn't know about it until like Sunday, the last time we were there. Somebody told us about it. So um, I'm planning on going to that cult museum in Tulsa next time I'm there. Yeah, it's about an hour north. It's pretty neat, though. It's not, you know, it's not really a gun museum at all, but it's well, it has it's a collection. And uh, it's on it's on the way sort of to that lead, that town where all the lead from World War II was mined. I really want to go see. Well, it's not really on the way, but it's north. So you north. Know. So it's not on the way, but, you know, I'm in Tucson, so yeah. <laughs> on the other side of Tulsa, so that means it's in the other direction. So anyway, yeah. When uh, you come up, I'll take you both. Right on. Um, so, yeah, that's the uh, Browning Museum. So I don't know. I've not been reading the comments, see if anybody else has been to it. I know that uh, Dead Horse is out there. He's been to it. All right, well, so that's our shop. Uh, every day we try to feature a gun shop, so if you ever want to have a shop featured, feel free to email it to us, dailygunshow at gmail.com. And it would be embarrassing if I told you the last time somebody sent us an email because it's all just spam emails from YouTube in there for, like, months. I don't even think, except for Patriot sent us one email. We haven't had an email in months. So anybody that wants to participate in the show, uh, feel free. The email's still there. Um, we can dig into history a little bit. And we can wrap it up. We're getting close to the end of the hour. Today is what's today? The seventeenth. Remember if there's anything going on over on the gun calendar. They were asking about um, somebody's asking about the Taurus M six oh five earlier in the chat. Do you guys have any opinion on that while I'm digging through the mystery stuff? I've never messed with one, but I had an 85, and that was actually a really good little gun for a cheap Taurus. Yeah, the... Not sure how... The, sorry. Um, yeah, I've got a Model 85 I've had and carried it for years. It's a pretty good little gun. 
but you're talking 38 special versus a 357, so. I had a Rossi 357 one time, snub nose, and it was a pretty decent little revolver. I never shot it a whole lot. I didn't have it very long. Just traded for it and traded it off, but it was decent for what I had it, which is still a Taurus, I guess. Actually, well, I take that back. I got a four-inch Taurus tracker, actually, my first um, first revolver. It's... I remember shooting the... or just shooting the snot out of that for years until I bought something different. But... I don't know. For... I'd say for what he paid for it, I don't see how he can really go wrong unless it... Uh, as long as it doesn't grenade in your hand. Yeah. I think Taurus makes pretty good revolvers most of the time. Yeah. I've not always been so thrilled with their semi-autos, but... Let's see what we got today. So it looks like uh, today in 1862, right? says the USS Ellis uh, destroyed Confederate salt works, a battery, and barracks near Swansboro, North Carolina. Yeah, North Carolina. It says this constant attack from the sea destroyed the South's resources and drained her strength. So the USS Ellis, today in 1862, beat the shit out of the South. And actually, G, there's, there's one for you here. Yeah. Today today marks a pivotal day in what would become the penultimate movie of all times because in 1952, on this day, Patrick Swayze was born. Uh-oh. A moment of silence for the Wolverines. <laughs> it's <is> technically necessary. <laughs> In 1998, U.S. President Bill Clinton admits in taped testimony that he had an improper physical relationship with White House intern Monica Lewinsky. Later that same day, he admits it before the nation that he misled people. 1958, the world's first moon probe was from here, and it exploded 77 seconds into launch. I guess. So, Pioneer Zero. Um, 1966, Pioneer 7 launched into solar orbit. Um, here we go. 1962, Navy's first hydrofoil patrol craft, the USS High Point, launched in Seattle. First hydrofoil. 1969, Category 5 Hurricane Camille hits the U.S. Gulf Coast, killing 256 and causing 1.42 billion in damage. I never heard about this one. In 1996, a C-130 carrying stuff for President Clinton crashed and exploded shortly after takeoff in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Eight crew members and a Secret Service employee were killed. I don't remember ever hearing about that. I was even around then. Well, here's one little, uh, little close to home here. In 1862, Minnesota erupts in violence as desperate Dakota Indians attack white settlements along the Minnesota River. Actually, grew up uh, 
not too far from uh, New Ulm, which was actually besieged for a couple of days during the Sioux Uprising. In 1978, Double Eagle II becomes the first balloon to cross the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, 16 Medal of Honors awarded today. All right, well, there's a lot of stuff in there, and we've tried to talk about history a little bit just to... Uh, Wet your whistle, maybe gives you something to talk about going into the weekend uh, at the gun show or at the gun shop or something like that. Uh, let's see. We don't think there's anything even happening on the gun calendar over the weekend. No, some crap happens on Monday, but we'll let that happen on Monday. Um, anything else from anybody before we head out? Wrapped it up right in about an hour tonight. I've got nothing. Right on. Well, I appreciate you guys jumping in. Otherwise, I'd be here by myself, and it would be like a five-minute show. Um, effort in towards doing the 15-minute show still in the uh, daytime, and we'll eventually have that working, and that'll give us something to guide this show. But uh, until then, we'll keep doing the uh, show so we can talk about gun shops and, and things. Oh, I was going to talk about a movie today, actually. Anybody seen Cobra Kai? The new Karate Kid comedy series that's on YouTube, I guess? I have not. I've seen you put out something about it, but I haven't even watched that yet. So, you know, a Karate Kid is, right? That movie from the 80s? Oh, yeah. I remember watching him once, maybe back when I was like five. Yeah, I hated that movie. I did not like that movie that much, but I've seen it like everybody. It's a movie that everybody's seen, I think. So, Karate oh. Kid, you know, wax on, wax off, all that. So, um, and I think there was a few of them. Anyway, it's uh, the same two actors... The bad guy and the the kid who gets his butt kicked, and then uh, um, except that if you've ever watched that movie, it's supposed to be about this kid who moves in from New Jersey and um, learns karate from Mr. Miyagi, and he makes him wash his cars and trim the hedges and stuff, and that turns into karate lessons, and then he defends himself from this bully. But if you look at the movie another way. This guy moves into town, steals the guy's girlfriend, keeps pushing him around, and then eventually kicks his shit out of him in a karate tournament. <laughs> so the the uh, the sitcom thing here that YouTube did is sort of from that angle, that it's the, the blonde kid who was really the guy who got his butt kicked all the time by the karate kid, and he got his girlfriend stolen, and then years later it's the same two actors so all that time's gone by and now this the blonde guy is starting up a karate studio uh karate kid can't deal with it and because he runs a car dealership and he's all successful and he doesn't like the idea that this blonde kid's starting a karate studio so it's it's 10 10 episodes worth of uh interesting stuff it's a lot of it's well written and there's a lot of like plot to it and stuff it's pretty it's pretty neat and it's funny way better than the movie Way better than the movie, even though it's the same, I guess, same people in it. Uh, no guns in it at all, but I thought it was funny, so I was going to bring it up today. So would you say it's better than the remake starring Will Smith Kid? Oh, I had did not like the first movie, so I did not even have any interest in seeing that remake. Uh, the only reason I saw it was because it came bundled free with a game console I bought a couple years ago. Oh, uh, was that any good? I'm assuming no. Basically, 
they take the fish out of water thing and crank it up to 11. They take Will Smith's kid and his single mother. She gets moved to China and he learns karate from Jackie Chan, who oh. is a broken down drunk. So, I don't know. It was a thing. Yeah, I mean, it, I can I say about it. Probably, if I cared more about the first movie, I'd probably have uh, have seen the second one and then had more of a thing, but I don't think I've even seen it. I do remember what you're talking about now. I think I remember seeing it when it came out. Uh, Lockjaw, there's other places available. There's other sources available, just FYI, that can be found. Um, but with that, I think now we can end it. Does anybody have a quote? Two seconds. I was working on it. Oh, okay. A, a quote? Yeah, we usually end the show with a quote. Wherever you go, there you are. Buckaroo Banzai. <laughs> there you go. It was too fast, and then my button's ready. The guys and gals of gunwebsites.com encourage you to take a CCW class every year, practice at least once a month, and carry every day. Thanks for watching gunwebsites.com. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.